God, open my lips that I may speak your word. Open our minds that we may think. Open our hearts that we may hear and receive. In Christ's name, amen. Given the time of year that we are in, when we and churches pretty much everywhere are undertaking their fall stewardship campaigns, you might think that this parable had been placed in the lectionary precisely for this season and for that reason. A man gives his three servants some money, each of them five talents. The next, uh, one of them, uh, rather, one of them five talents, another one two, and then the other one one talent. And then he goes away. And then he comes back to see what they have done with it. Have we invested wisely for the kingdom of God seems to be the question here in this parable. A talent in Jesus' day was, of course, a unit of money, and there was actually a lot of money. It was originally a unit of a measure of weight, presumably for gold or other precious metals. One talent was the equivalent of about 15 years' wages for a day laborer perhaps today's equivalent of maybe $200,000 or something like that, a significant sum of money, which means that five talents would be like a million dollars. The man who had received a million dollars in our parable, we are told, invested it, and when his master returned, gave two million back to his master. Now that's giving, isn't it? That's 200% tithing. That's more than probably any of us here do. Now I can imagine too that some preachers might take advantage of this parable to talk about stewardship of time and talent. The word talent actually came into the English language in the Middle Ages because of this parable. And it came to mean special God-given abilities or skills. Skills like music or artistic talents or talents for business, or mechanical things. We speak of talents in many different ways, don't we? But we've got to be honest here. This parable is not really about the stewardship of money, and it's not really about the stewardship of our talents in the modern English sense of that word. But it is about stewardship. This is a parable about our stewardship of the gospel. If you look at the parable carefully, you'll see that it's really an allegory. There is a man who is going away. That represents Christ. The servants, translated here from a word that can be either involuntary or voluntary servants, refers to the disciples. Unfortunately, our NRSV translation says slaves, which I think is an unfortunate uh, translation in this situation. But it refers to the disciples all of Christ's disciples, those who give their lives willingly to Christ. This parable comes here in Matthew's Gospel during Jesus' final discourse with his disciples near the very end of his ministry, just before his crucifixion. Jesus was preparing them for the time when he would be going away, but he was also saying to them, I'll be back. And I have some expectations of you while I'm away. I've given each of you a very precious gift. And when I come again, 
I want to see what you've done with it. Those who use it, those who take some risks with it, put it to work, will be rewarded. Those who are cautious, whose only interest is in protecting it, preserving it, those who hide it, making sure no one takes it away from them, they will have it taken from them and given to others. There's the meaning of this parable. Now Matthew's Gospel was recorded, scholars believe, near the end of the first century, when the early church was having to come to terms with the reality that the second coming of Christ had not yet happened. You'll remember that we talked about that here last week as well. And so this parable was for them an exhortation not to slack off, but to be bold in their faith, to take risks for the gospel, to put it to work and not to hide it away, even though doubts had begun to arise in their minds and caution might have seemed the better path. So what about us 2,000 years later? How does this parable strike you as a Christian today in the year 2017? One person is given five talents and, and immediately goes and puts it to work and ends up with ten. Another is given two talents, does the same, ends up with four. But another who is given one talent is afraid, goes and hides the gift, and when the master returns, still has only one. Now, it could seem like a parable about the widening economic inequality in our society, which is something that we are certainly dealing with in Seattle and in our country. And that could even be another sermon for another time. But for now, as for those early disciples, it is still a parable about the difference between spiritual timidity and spiritual boldness with the gift that has been given to us. Now, I remember as a child being timid about lots of things, actually, but particularly about jumping into a pool of water that was a little bit cold. I would sit on the side, put my toes in, thinking I'll get used to this a little bit at a time, until I finally realized that it was much harder that way, actually, and it made a lot more sense just to jump in all at once, and you get used to the water much faster that way. Sometimes we are like that spiritually, aren't we? <clears throat> we sit in our, on the sidelines with our toes sort of dipping into the water, maybe waiting to see what others do first, not too sure if we want to get in all the way, afraid that it might not feel good, but missing out also on the fun and the rewards of those who do. As one person has commented, a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are for. We might think too that a silent Christian, one who is reluctant to speak up or to put themselves out there, is safe. But that's not what Christians are for. What does it really mean for us to be faithful stewards of the gospel? Walter Brueggemann says that for Matthew, the issue concerns the risk of the public expression of the gospel. Whether the disciples would keep the gospel safely tucked away in a secure context or, or let it loose in the broader world among the nations. It's also about proclaiming the gospel in our deeds as well as our words. Christians have an obligation to stand for 
what is right, what is just, what is the message of the gospel. The one-talent person is tempted to believe that he or she cannot accomplish anything significant and therefore doesn't even try. It's the Christian in Nazi Germany who did not speak up and say anything, assuming the voice of one person probably wouldn't make any difference. He's silent when he should speak out against the rising tide of nationalism and white supremacy. She is timid when the gospel calls her to be bold in defense of her disappearing neighbors. And their silence was a tragic example of Christians who selfishly hid the treasure that they had been given. I remember meeting a woman a few years ago who told how she felt it had been her Christian call and her duty to travel to Israel and Palestine and to spend two weeks in the West Bank helping uh, people there with the olive harvest. She knew that her presence there could be dangerous, but that it would also perhaps help to prevent some of the Palestinian farmers from being shot while they were picking their olives. She went to work alongside Palestinians and Israelis too, and anyone else who wanted to bear witness through their deeds to the dignity of every human being and to their right to a secure livelihood. She knew that her being there might help cast a light on the destruction of trees that has ruined the livelihood of so many Palestinian families, and that just her presence there would be a witness to the injustices they face on a daily basis. She would not hide the good news, but instead she put her life, her own body, on the line to share it because she believes in the gospel and would not hide it away. She was putting not only her talents in harvesting a crop to use, but the gift of her deep love of God and of her neighbor that are at the heart of the gospel. Now, there are, of course, many ways for us to be good stewards of the gospel. Some will live out the gospel in their commitment to social justice. Others in their presence with the sick, the elderly, the dying, or their feeding of the hungry, or taking in the stranger, or clothing the naked. Some are evangelists who introduce others to Christ through the spoken word. But we are all asked to be engaged taking risks with the gospel, and not merely sitting on the side with our toes in the water. Jesus commends those who have used their talents and increased their value, and he calls them good and faithful servants. Now, the meaning of good and faithful doesn't have to do with theological correctness. It's certainly not passive waiting around or even strict obedience to clear instructions or believing in a certain way. But it's active responsibility that takes initiative and risk, and that trusts that the master's gift at least will not be lost through their efforts, and more likely will be multiplied because of them. The master gives no instructions about what to do with the money. So faithfulness is not about merely being obedient to directions. Each of us as servants must decide how to use our time during our master's absence. 
You know, it's not that God needs what little we can accomplish through our actions, but God does want to know that we have learned how to use our freedom and that we have learned to share the love and the forgiveness we have experienced in Christ. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, a French scientist and theologian, wrote this in his best-known book, The Divine Value. God obviously has no need of the products of your busy activity since he could give himself everything without you. The only thing that concerns God, the only thing that God desires intensely, is your faithful use of your freedom and the preference that you accord to God over the other things around you. So this morning, what will we do with the good news we've been given? Will we use it, put it to work, earn more, or will we lose it? It's one or the other. Amen.